With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Wild Card Weekend 6. Unbelievable matchups we have Saturday, Sunday, and even Monday. Today, Hayden, we go game by game, player by player, matchup by matchup, injury by injury, coach by coach, all of it. What do you think about this weekend's games? It should be super stacked. Can't wait for the Lions Rams games. There's a couple of revenge games on the slate oh, yeah. here. And yeah, great wild card weekend. We have like some rematches of teams that have played each other earlier this year. As you mm-hmm. said, we definitely have some revenge and narrative streets to walk down. And then also some unique matchups that we haven't gotten so far this season. Oh, we're just going to go and I guess chronological order as the schedule goes. Start with Sunday, then or Saturday, then go to Sunday, and then go to Monday. So that leads us to. Browns versus Texans. 4.30 Eastern on Saturday. Cleveland on the road. Two and a half point favorites at the Houston Texans. 44 and a half total. These two teams did play a few weeks back. Hayden, CJ Stroud missed that game. The Browns led 36 to 7 in the middle of the fourth quarter. Um, However you want to start this one. Do you want to open this one with the Texans offense or the Browns offense? Take it away. Let's go with the Browns just because I want to get this Amari Cooper footage from that game up here. <laughs> this is one of the craziest games of, of any wide receiver of the entire season. I believe is the most EPA uh, achieved by one player in a single game this year. Amari Cooper was going crazy. A lot of it on play action. A lot of these on double moves. Like that is a really long developing route. Amari Cooper at the catch point was fantastic. Obviously, the Texans have to have a better game plan this time around. What's going to happen in this game with the Browns is they run the super volatile offense with Joe Flacco. It's been working for the most part. Right now, they are passing the ball with Joe Flacco at the highest rate in neutral situations in the league. They're 12th in their boom percentage, but they're also fifth worst in their bust percentage. So are these deep passes going to be able to convert over the last couple weeks with Joe Flacco? He's 23rd in passing EPA, 22nd success rate. 25th in completion percentage over expected all the volumes going to Amari Cooper and David Njoku. Do the Texans have enough guys in the secondary to contain them? Yeah. And number one, an old man circus throws that shouldn't be happening at this point in his career. Uh, just last week with Colt McCoy, we broke down this game and others in this Joe Flacco Renaissance, if we want to put it that way. And this offense, as we have talked about, just looks so different than any previous iteration of a Kevin Stefanski-led offense with Baker Mayfield to Deshaun Watson to whoever else. And, you know, I think there's many reasons for that. Um, We can look at it from a statistical perspective where they're asking to throw the ball 40, 42, 44 times. Mm -hmm. I think part of that is because they don't have Nick Chubb. And, you know, it's just Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt back there. But the other part is... And it's evident when you're watching this game, he simply just trusts Joe Flacco to execute his game plan and his offense to a better degree than any of these other types. And by that, I mean Kevin Stefanski as what we have seen with how he is able to get David Njoku and Amari Cooper and heck, even Elijah Moore at times involved 
just Joe Flacco in rhythm in the timing of the offense is so much better at reading the leverage and throwing to that on time Mm -hmm. than these other guys. And then on top of that, Hayden, he is going and making these plays off the mark, off the spot, rolling to his left in the grasp of defensive linemen to just absurd throws that are super high variance. He's Mm -hmm. running purely hot right now. Yeah. And it's weird to say that even though he is throwing one or two interceptions per game. And I think people might focus on like, oh, you know, those interceptions, those turnovers can come back to bite this offense. I almost disagree where you have to live with those turnovers, those big shots, especially in this Texans game. It was in one-on-one coverage and one was a Hail Mary attempt towards the end. Just because in those same outcomes, you're also getting game-changing moments to counteract those negative plays. It's the best version of what the Browns offense has. As a reminder, Kevin Stefanski is operating with basically backup offensive linemen across the entire line, especially at the tackle position. They're leaning to the play action. They're leaning into the deep passes. So easily this game could be interception, interception. The deep passes go incomplete and the Browns don't put up as many points. But I still think this is the best path for this Browns offense, especially against this version of the Texans. They play the sixth most zone coverage in the NFL where they're most vulnerable, and what's what we just saw with the Amari Cooper clips, are these downfield passes. They're also the worst defense in the league against play action. So where the Texans are particularly bad at is where the Browns offense, this version of it, has been really good. So right now, the Browns are projected for 23 and a quarter points. That's the fourth highest on the slate. Wow. Uh, and just going to be this boom-bust downfield opportunities. Amari Cooper just for the record, had 11 first downs in this game a couple of years, a couple of games ago. We said this countless times on Stats versus Film. We know you guys watch or the Instant Reaction Show on Sunday night that Amari Cooper has been a roller coaster uh, throughout his entire career. He has been incredibly consistent. Mm-hmm. What a deal they made with the Cowboys when he basically had no guaranteed money left in his contract versus what all these other teams are they paying or trading for wide receivers. Out there, I mean, it's pretty simple. The Texans defense cannot allow this offense to score 36 points. And they did that by only rushing for 54 yards this past time, too. Like, we could easily, I know it's Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt. We could see 100, 120 rushing yards mm-hmm. at this group at the same time. Will Anderson, I don't think, played in that previous game. Uh, he barely played this past week 18. He is obviously not 100%. And at the same time, this Browns team is basically all sat. Like, they all rested. Uh, in week 18 and so you know they should be fresh and one final note i have is look and pay attention to how many times even a near 40 year old quarterback is having his launch point not just in a pure drop back situation how they are either rolling him out slightly or he is you know booting out completely and and a lot of bootlegs we see with even more athletic quarterbacks the edge not biting on the action and You know, it's a hurried throw. There is pressure, not with this offense. And that is Kevin Stefanski, you know, all the action, the momentum in the opposite direction, either by how he's window dressing it, the formation, any of it. He is really putting these defenses in a bind. And we've talked about how young this Texans defense is. Uh, It's almost converse the opposite of that versus what the Browns are putting out there in offense. It's just crazy that Joe Flacco is able to throw on the run, change his arm angles and stuff, because he he was the statue of statues in the last couple times we saw him. Okay, let's talk about when the Texans have the ball, because I believe the Browns lead the league in single high looks. We have seen C.J. Stroud torch these single high looks. Now, 
it can be debatable if it's cover one versus cover three. Obviously, against the Indianapolis Colts, for example, they run a ton of cover three. The Browns and Jim Schwartz and how he's kind of rejuvenated this unit that has invested so much into it. Um, they play what they play and they do it at a really high level. So will the rookie quarterback have success against these looks like he has previous teams? CJ Stroud's fifth in quarterback rating against these single high defenses. Nico Collins in particular is averaging 3.5 yards per route run. That's an elite level. Now, the problem is with that CJ Stroud set I just picked up. Tank Dell was a huge part of also that success winning down the field. Noah Brown is averaging 2.4 yards per run. He still isn't practicing. He didn't play in this last season, this last game. Same thing with Robert Wood. So there's a lot of pressure to put on Nico Collins and CJ Stroud. And obviously Nico Collins will see some of Denzel Ward, who's averaging negative 13% completion percentage over expected in coverage. So this is a huge test for CJ Stroud and Nico Collins. And the thing that I'm going to be paying attention to uh, with this matchup is just the Texans are at an outlier level throwing the ball deep and over the middle parts of the field. You see this with a lot of the play action. You talk about the two-man uh, route combinations up top, lots of these deep throws. The, the defense that is the best at preventing those type of passes, deep middle passes, are the Cleveland Browns. So is there going to be a changeup that the Texans can go to? Is there these double moves? Is it corner moves? Is it C.J. Stroud breaking the pocket a little bit? I just don't want the changeup to be running the ball because the Texans have ran the ball into light boxes yeah. at the fifth highest rate. They're 20th in rushing success rate. I don't think any of that is going to change. CJ Stroud and Nico Collins are probably just going to have to win down on the perimeter, maybe a little bit more un, uh, intermediate underneath than they have been accustomed to just because that's where the Browns have these really athletic linebackers and safeties to kind of clog up the middle. There's so much to unpack here. Um, we love that the Houston Texans are in the playoffs. I want to open with that. From when they were 0-2, we thought this team was extremely feisty, and they've gone through a lot this season. You know, even losing the likes of Tank Dell, losing some offensive linemen along the way. Um, they are here, and I think that they deserve it in this moment. Um, I do think it is going to be more difficult. It's the most simple take I'm going to have in this episode. To have your wide receiver, your one wide receiver this past week, by the way, in Nico Collins, go for near 200 yards against the Cleveland Browns as it was this Indianapolis Colts team. Now, should Noah Brown and Robert Woods probably be back? Yes, but even the jump down from, I mean, Nico Collins and Tank Dell are legit for rest of C.J. Stroud's contract. Your 1A and 1B, they can be that. Those are that level of talents. Um, Nico Collins this year has also been unbelievable. I mean, his numbers are similar to like Jalen Waddles last year in terms of downfield a dot plus yards after the catch capabilities. And he's doing that at six foot four, 220 mm -hmm. pounds. Mm -hmm. CJ Stroud deserves all the flowers that he is getting this year for his placement, which we highlighted relentlessly coming out of Ohio State face mask between the numbers, upfield shoulder, all of that. And then the man that I want to speak about for a little bit after. I'll give the mic back over to you is Bobby Slowick because mm -hmm. what he is also implementing here has been truly remarkable and fantastic. And I think equally deserves the share of respect of elevating this awful roster from last year and highlighting the talents and the strengths that a lot of these players do have, whether it be the offensive lineman, the tight end, even Devin Singletary to obviously mm -hmm. the wide receivers that we speak about so often. 
when Nico Collins and CJ Stroud have been healthy together, they're averaging 8.1 yards per pass attempt. That's right there with the rest of the top contenders in the league. It To me, love Bobby Slowick, love this play action, love the deep passing, love throwing the ball over the middle like we talked about. I just want them to pass the ball more. I don't think that you can want to run on the Browns. Obviously, some of the runs are setting up some of the play action. And this right. Can we talk about that for a moment? Here. Because, you know, the nerds on Twitter hate it when teams run on first down. Now, I think at times, does Bobby Slowick, who is in his first year as a play caller, take it to the extremes? Totally, right? There have been times where, like, they climbed up to average and then it dropped back down. There were some injuries and some offensive line changes with that. But I understand that it has been proven that, you know, you don't have rushing, have to have rushing success to set up play action, right? But I do firmly believe, and this goes back to pre-CMC Shanahan era, where the sets, the formations, how everything looks from, you know, tight end to tight end or tight end to fullback, whatever, mm -hmm. in, the, in the box of the formation, like that does to me, at times you're going to have to have a negative run or a slightly positive run in order to have some of these shot plays that we talk about. I would like just to see them see how much play action you can get it, get into those sets you're talking about, make it look like a run and then just don't run it. That's what I would like to see. It, I, I get it. See early in the season when CJ Stroud, there's uncertainties. You're trying to get him familiar. He had that really bad uh, preseason game, get him familiar. Now it's time to completely go crazy. That's your way of winning this. You're not going to win this game on the ground. And especially if Joe Flacco is completing some of these deep passes, I think you got to go match for match down the field. I just think like we always talk about Nico Collins as like a very true number one wide receiver. This is the game where you have to really earn that marking against Denzel Ward. But I do think they can get it done. We, they've proven it the entire course of the season. Like he's top five in yards per route run, all these crazy metrics for Nico Collins. I would like to see it be CJ Stroud, Nico Collins back and forth, back and forth. Do you get what I'm saying? Because I think sometimes these, efficiency metrics that are out there want there to be a hyper positive play every single time. And I understand it from For that sure. angle. Like mm -hmm. you definitely want to gain yards on every single snap, mm -hmm. but at times I do think that these Shanahan tree play callers understand that, Hey, this is a setup. This is a way for us to later on uh, convert this into a longer chunk gain down the field. In order to do that, we do have to run the ball. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'll just say this. Just don't run the ball into stacked boxes at the fifth highest rate this game. <laughs> I do want to end this. Uh, and again, I, basically with e each of these teams, and this is a huge credit to doing a weekly show with Colt McCoy, I want to give you one thing to watch for Sweet. as you are observing these games. Um, typically, when I have thought of explosive offenses in the past, it's extremely spread out offenses that love to pinpoint and attack certain areas of defense or just fire passes down the field, Right. Instead, what Bobby Sloak is doing is, one, these very condensed formations. I mean, look at this. No player is outside of the numbers. Almost every single one is within five yards of the hash marks, right? And look at how much of an emphasis he puts on the pass protection plan, okay? This is two tight ends and obviously two condensed split wide receivers. We fast forward that just a little bit and look how many players are in this protection plan and look at the pocket it creates, a runway. You can include Devin Singletary this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players in pass protection. And so that allows you to trust previously Tank Dell and especially now Nico Collins in one-on-ones to create separation down the field. And then a quarterback who, as we have talked about, who can fire it 
on the helmet, shoulder pads, wherever. And even if what doesn't work out, because you are pushing those downfield routes so far down the field, it creates this cavity underneath. Mm-hmm. And even the check down can go for seven or eight yards. So I just, again, love the emphasis and the protection plans that Bobby Sloak puts out there because he understands that, hey, my quarterback and my wide receivers, they're talented enough to get open versus more and more defensive backs in the defensive backfield. Those tight ends better be ready to block Miles Garrett. I heard he's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, again, it might be a bit more difficult to protect against Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith versus mm-hmm. whoever held the, the Colts were trotting out there. Dolphins versus Chiefs. Eight o'clock on Saturday. Miami Dolphins at the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs favored by three and a half points at home. This total right now is at 44 points. I do want to uh, just quote what Roto Grinders has in their weather app. Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Quote, absolutely frigid. Actual temperature should be around 10 degrees at kickoff. Closer to zero by the end of the game. A 10 to 15 mile per hour wind will put temperatures that feel like well below zero degrees. So, Hayden, with that weather in mind, we also add on top of it that the Dolphins beat just one team with a winning record this mm-hmm. entire season. And meanwhile, this Chiefs offense has struggled more than any other moment in the Patrick Mahomes era. So I want to start with the Dolphins just because the narrative around the weather probably impacts the Dolphins more than it does the Chiefs. At least the Chiefs are, you know, used to it being in Kansas City versus Miami. Um, but also just later in the season, these Dolphin splits are just for the last couple of years have been really crazy. Just looking at this, Tua is averaging 7.4 yards per attempt in September through November games. That drops to 6.3 in December and January games. And it's the same kind of split that I talked about on the show previously when the Dolphins play teams that they faced before earlier in the year. I think there's a familiarity aspect that really matters because this Dolphins offense is so unique. And on top of that, who would know better that at stopping Tyree Hill than the Kansas City Chiefs. And when I went back and looked at this tape and the, the targets that he got, you can see this emphasis on being really aggressive. Like, real quick, just go back to this, this last rep right here. How often do you see corners get up in a wide receiver's face like that? Now, Tyree Hill is such a freak that you're not going to completely contain him. He's still going to get his yardage for sure. They will have a game plan to combat all this stuff. But Kansas City, their secondary and their linebackers can tackle out in space and they're more aggressive than most teams. Um, and I think they're going to be really aggressive with Tyreek Hill. And I right. think Tua and this team is going to have to have either be able to combat that straight up in very cold weather, or they're going to have to really rely on the ground game where the Chiefs have been a little bit worse. Yeah, I, I do wonder if Raheem Moser, who should be back for this, it sounded like he was close to last week, and Devon Achan are the keys to this game. And I know so much of the narrative is going to be about Tyreek Hill returning to Kansas City and all of that. But we have seen also this team be incredibly explosive in the running game. I felt at times actually last week against the Bills that they worked away from that running game maybe a bit too often because A-Chan was, I thought, the best part of it Mm -hmm. from start to finish. Um, And part of that is because Steve Spagnuolo in this defense, we always talk about it how – uh, maybe throughout the year they've had their ups and downs and the playoffs is really when he dials it up to 11. Well, this year's Chiefs defense has actually been quite good because of the pieces that they've invested into it. And if he takes that even up another notch for yeah. specific game plans per matchup, then I think it would get really spicy here because he doesn't trot out the same you know defensive covers like we just talked about Jim Schwartz every single time. He'll switch it up and he'll also send heat in certain situations. We've seen these blitzing linebackers and maybe they'll have to force Raheem Mostert or a Chan to pass protect 
in certain situations. And so that will lead Tua, who in some games this year, especially to start the year, there were moments when we got in the show and said, oh, he's better against pressure in this game. He was winning outside of structure just a little bit more than he ever has in the past. That's kind of disintegrated. For sure. As you've gone along. And that coincides. They have a lot of injuries on their defense and on the offensive line. Jalen Waddle's been playing through injuries. Tyree Kill's been playing through injuries. We just talked about the running backs as well. But in that Chiefs game earlier this season, uh, they played more, more man coverage than this Dolphins team usually sees. They ran with five more pass rushers than normal. Spagnuolo is, gonna, is not afraid to get uh, crazy with some blitzes. And he held two at a 7.4 yards per attempt, only 14 points. It was his fourth longest time to throw the ball. And I think that was the key part to that last game. And I think one of the reasons why uh, that was the case is this is just deep over the middle throws. And you can see the chiefs defense in the bottom left. They don't allow you just to dice you up over the middle. Like a lot of offenses uh, like to target, especially this dolphins unit. They're going to clog that middle of the field. And they definitely know that they want to run these RPOs with Tyreek Hill over the middle of the field. Same thing with Jalen Waddle and the chiefs just been really good at defending those type of passes in particular. So it's a really bad matchup individually for the Dolphins pass game. Just the Chiefs have been really bad. They're 30th in rushing EPA allowed. So that's going to be the thing where can they get Devon Achan and Raheem Mostert to the edge? And I think that's the opportunity for the Dolphins to pull the upset. Yeah, even in the postseason, we'll get Lord Reeves here on the Twitter sphere. Devon Achan ended with a run of 10 plus yards on 21.6% of his 103 rushes. The only player with a higher rate of that on 100 plus carries. In the 2000s was Alvin Kamara back in 2017. Ooh. And I'll add, Hayden, let's say Raheem Moser isn't 100%. This is another game where I think they turn to A-Chain and say, okay, you can carry 15, 18, mm -hmm. 20 touches, and we aren't fearful of that. They've shown that throughout the last few weeks on top of it. A little worried about how banged up this offensive line has gotten to. Yes. And it's not just us with all these kind of negatives with Miami Right now, they're projected for just 19 points in the betting markets. We've talked about this on the show the entire year. 27 points, 31 projected points coming into the week. We're at 19. That's weather, that's injuries, that's matchup, that's familiarity. That's how the Dolphins' offense has been looking recently as well. So all this stuff is working against them. But that said, the Chiefs' offense has not been good, obviously, as well. Oh. That's why this point spread is still only around three. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because two years ago, we would have looked at this matchup on paper and – you know, considered it offensive fireworks on both sides. And the weather plays a part here, but more so to me, it's just how this offense has performed so far this year. I don't think we'll hit that mark. Um, to me, the offense is pretty simple, Hayden, when the Chiefs have the football. It's like Isaiah Pacheco rushing success. Rasheed Rice yards after catch opportunities. Again, I believe it was back in week 17 was his first catch on a target that was 20 plus air yards down the field. Hopefully, Travis Kelsey is like the steady drumbeat to it all. And then Patrick Mahomes executing in structure and then maybe one or two, quote unquote, big plays mm -hmm. out of structure to one of these other random pass catchers on the field. And that's it. Like that is their formula this season. Second lowest ADOT in the league, fourth lowest play action rate. It's just dink and dunk and just try to scheme up some screens and see if Rasheed Rice can get going after the catch. The good news for the Chiefs is maybe Patrick Mahomes has more time to scramble around and throw up these prayers to Justin yes. Watson and these type of guys because right now the Dolphins are missing Jalen Phillips, Bradley Chubb. Those are both their best two edge rushers. 
Xavier Howard, their number two corner, he's not expected to play, which gets Eli Apple on the field. They're missing multiple linebackers at this point. And this team uses the second most cover one snap. So they're going to get Jalen Ramsey on. I don't even know which wide receiver they're going to. Do you, uh, do you think he might track and follow Rishi Rice because they literally are not going to be fearful of any of the other names? We have seen Jalen Ramsey play against tight ends too on occasion. I'm not sure if he's in the shadow anybody. I'm just not sure if any of these Chiefs wide receivers warrant that. But when I was just looking into this yards per route run against cover one, the guy that stands out of all the kind of like scrubby Chiefs wide receivers, Justin Watson's leading the team with 3.1 yards per route run. He can work downfield a little bit. So maybe some of these schemed up opportunities downfield go to Justin Watson. But also got my my pointy fingers up, Brian Winhurst. Why did Nicole Hardman play 100% of the snaps and get like 12 targets? Like, is he the answer? Okay, we tried this entire season. All these miscast characters. Tony, Scott, to get Moore, out there. Yep. Well, they, they have no chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. And maybe they say Nicole Hardman has more chemistry and familiarity <laughs> with Patrick Mahomes. And that's where that's where we're at. And that's why this Chiefs, they're not expected to beat the Dolphins by a million points, even though we're talking about these Miami issues. It's because they don't have many answers to the test either. Yeah, a dude in Michael Harmon who never learned how to play wide receiver during his time at the Kansas City Chiefs might be, I don't know, your third most reliable wide receiver on the team. You mentioned Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb. They're definitely out. Also out is Andrew Van Ginkle, yeah. uh, another edge player. at True linebacker Jerome Baker is going to miss this game with a wrist injury. They are bringing in edge rushers off the street. Yeah. And Justin Houston and Bruce Irvin. This is not 2017, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, to like join Emmanuel Agba and company to like try to rush the passer here. So I'm with you. Like, I bet we see a number of Patrick Mahomes four plus five plus second time to throw conversion plays. Yep. I could also see some maybe Patrick Mahomes hires in his rushing yards. And also if Duke Riley is out there on the field, we have highlighted him in matchups against like Justice Hill, for example, in recent right. weeks. It didn't quite hit when, you know, James Cook dropped that touchdown last week, but we have seen that running back receptions uh, can be got after. I do, though, we are almost masking over, skimming over Travis Kelsey in this conversation. Again, our buddy, we're playing all the hits, Jared Smola. Travis Kelsey's last seven games versus a thick Fangio defense, three for 14, four for 34 and a touchdown, three for 27. Had a great game, eight for 136 and one touchdown, then three for 31, then 11 for 142 and six for 44. How Fangio plays his defenses, do you think that that can subdue Travis Kelsey in an already subdued season? I'm not sure. They're just like running out of bodies at this point, you know, where I think some of like where Travis Kelsey maybe needs a little bit more time to kind of freelance at this stage of his career. Well, now they might have the opportunity to for Mahomes to scramble around just because the skill talent gap. So I think just my overall handicap, this is, the best player in the world and Patrick Mahomes. These are the type of games where even when nothing around him makes sense, he's going to be able to either prayer up a, a throw downfield or get that extra scramble or two. And that I think will be the difference in this one. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have, and you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. 
you start a new show, a new series. And when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash underdog. Or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right. Three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Steelers versus Bills. We're on our way to Sunday, 1 o'clock Eastern. The Pittsburgh Steelers at the Buffalo Bills. Bills in this game favored by 10 points. A total, I think, of only 35 and a half. Is that correct? Well, when the Steelers are projected for 13 points, that's how you get there. <laughs> I will once again cite Roto Grinder's weather app. Cold, windy, potentially some snow too. Temps will be in the 20s with sustained winds around 15 miles per hour. Gusts around 30 miles per hour. Oh, Hayden, boy. can we just like quickly take the section of the Steelers offense and just start yes. and end there? Because again, I will outline how I think this is going to go. It has to kind of be running the ball successfully with Najee Harrison and Jalen Warren and then hit those broken coverage plays, those moments of magic. We saw it to Deontay Johnson last week. We saw it to George Pickens the week before. And that's the prayer. That's it. That is the prayer. I've never seen this working backwards from the bottom up. A team lean more and more and more and more into the run. The last four games with Mason Rudolph here, under 35% neutral pass rate. How Mason Rudolph has been getting home is he's been lights out on these deep passes. So 15 plus air yards down the field. He's seven of 12 on them. That's the second best completion percentage over expected across the entire season. Last week, he only had a 3.1 ADOT uh, in kind of weather against a better Ravens defense. But they're going to try to run the ball, and they're going to try to complete these passes deep downfield. Unfortunately, those are the stats that we love to regress, especially against Buffalo. The Buffalo defense forces the second shallowest average depth of target in the league. They play the second most cover two. They play the fourth most cover two man defense they run with, they rush with four, and they can get home with four. And I just think that this bend don't break Buffalo defense that could really change up how they bring simulated pressures and change their coverages will end up working against Mason Rudolph. And you just can't get away with throwing the ball downfield over and over and over again, especially in this matchup. I do think that this Bills defense has greatly improved in the second half of the season as well. Like you can just look back to last week against the Miami Dolphins, like five straight stops and a need to have it moment when your offense was turning the ball over at times. Um, I just don't know. Like I think George Pickens is a talent. I think DeAndre Johnson is one of the best separators in the NFL. So like, if they played this game theoretically a hundred times, there are avenues because they do have talented players on the offensive side of the ball for the Steelers to win this game. 
that number is just incredibly minuscule yeah. for me. And on top of it, it's it's all this weather stuff. I mean, it's not often that you know that a team that is in the playoffs is absolutely going to make a quarterback change this offseason. And we know that the Pittsburgh Steelers are absolutely going to make a quarterback change this offseason. But it's even a credit to, I think, their coaching staff, again, firing Matt Canada halfway through, Mike Tomlin's just tenured success right now yep. that, hey, we stuck with Mason because he gives us the best chance to win and we've made the playoffs because of it. And, you know, the investments that we've made along the offensive line, first round pick and, and Najee Harris is paying off to some yep. degree. And leading into more Jalen Warren touches and he's been yep. super efficient this year. Uh, if they are going to pull off the, the upset here, I think those deep passes, you have to convert those, even though the uh, Buffalo defense kind of takes those away where they are bad at their 29th in rushing uh, PFF grade allowed. The Buffalo Bills are their 18th and rushing EPA allowed. So the Steelers want to run the ball. The Bills have been a little bit bad at defending the run here. So maybe they can kind of pick up some consistent things, but they want this game to be over as soon as they can. They want the weather playing into it. I think all right. that stuff works in their favor. Uh, I just think they're just missing the quarterback difference here. Okay, let's go to the Bills side and when they have the ball because – I was thinking about this during that game against the Miami Dolphins that I don't think what we are allowed to judge Josh Allen in the same way that we judge other quarterbacks because take a moment, a snapshot from that game, basically four turnovers for Josh Allen inside the 35 yard line, one end zone interception, another end zone interception, which was on fourth down, mm -hmm. the Ty Johnson completion to end the half, which gave them zero points. And then that fumble while being sacked by Christian Wilkins. And despite all of that, the Bills were up by seven with the ball with six minutes to go in large part, thanks to the punt return touchdown in large part, thanks to their defense, but also in large part, because in about the final quarter and a half, a switch flips and he takes over the game. Like every single snap, he puts the team on his shoulders and just plays the position differently than anyone else. So like how mad can you really get with a performance yeah. like that? He doesn't take any sacks because he's impossible to bring down and people underestimate his speed. There was a couple of reps where he was just like beating players to the outside, which is insane for how big he is. The difference between this Bill's offense heading into the playoffs is they truly can win in both phases. They're third in rushing EPA, they're fourth in passing EPA. We've seen them scramble the ball in the red zone with Josh Allen. We've seen the explosive run on early downs with uh james cook we've seen steph Diggs get downfield i do think they will miss gabe davis a little bit if he can't return from that knee injury but at least khalil shakur like when it comes to just yards per route run checks all the little boxes that from, you like a little underrated player just quickly on that from a consistency standpoint i don't think that there is a drop-off in fact there might be an improvement mm -hmm. from gabriel davis to a combination of khalil shakir and yeah. trent Sherfield. sure yeah, they, you're going to lose some explosiveness from just the downfield scramble drill stuff, but I do think that Khalil Shakir is somebody that is out there. And then I think, obviously, the biggest injury here, TJ Watt ruled out with that Massive. knee injury. He's number two in sack rate among edge rushers. Alex Heisman is a good player, but just huge, huge, huge be difference there. Be because if if there was like an equation for how the Bills can lose a game in like this current iteration, the end of season version of the Bills, it would be you take those Josh Allen mistakes, which his brain departs his body yep. multiple times per game. And then he doesn't take over because you do play solid defense and that would kind of be impossible without TJ Watt. And the defense doesn't get five straight stops in the second half. My question is how many teams can force that? And I don't think that the Steelers are one of them, again, without their star pass rusher and defensive player of the year candidate. 
yeah, I agree. There's a reason they're 10 point favorites here. Um, Bills only project for 23 points, though. The, the Steelers defense has been decent in the second half. Once they got Joey Porter, their corner, rookie corner, he's been playing better. Pat Peterson's been playing a little bit better as well, but they will miss TJ Watt. And then Josh Allen's just, he's just too good right now. Even with those, all those mistakes, he still is yeah. so damn dominant. And even with, you know, that winning streak that the Bills were on, like the one thing that was missing for it to feel fantastic was Stefan Diggs's involvement. Mm-hmm. And then we got that this past week against the we Miami did. Dolphins. I mean, he was torching Jalen Ramsey one-on-one. And then, you know, Dalton Kincaid was making plays down the middle of the field and being like a graceful tight end at that spot. Go ahead. I just want to bring that up just because they've gone to 11 personnel and 12 personnel, two tight end sets kind of throughout the year. Just looking at this EPA per play in 11 personnel, it's at 0.12 in 12 personnel. It's at 0.08. So it's like another way that they can be balanced. They can go to winning in two tight end sets or in three wide receiver sets. Obviously, if you remove Gabe Davis, you have both the starting tight ends healthy. They're probably going to use a little bit more 12 personnel in this one. Um, but I just credit to the Buffalo bills just being so multiple. And I do think that is really beneficial once you get into January football. Yeah. So Dawson Knox returned in week 14. Okay. And then at that point, the bills were playing 12 personnel. They only went back to it at 18% of the snaps, 18%. And you remember to open this year, they were going a ton of, 12 personnel and it wasn't working because they were trying to make 11 half personnel defenses were still matching up in nickel. So I think doing an either or versus two tight end sets um, Mm -hmm. is, is the smart approach and they really have successfully done that. And even last week, I mean, again, there were missed opportunities. We didn't talk about what we did talk about with Josh Allen, but also James cook certainly was not as effective this past week. And that was another level lever that they didn't pull last week or they tried to, and they couldn't, that they definitely can pull this week. On top yep. of it. Um, I mean, 10 points in a playoff. I, you know, not that many other teams because of quarterback injuries that could have replaced the Pittsburgh Steelers here. Um, I'm, I'm just happy that this for Mike Tomlin because right. there were some rumblings, let's say, from local media when a team wins so frequently that like, oh, is this the end? Come on. I mean, come on. <laughs> How spoiled? How spoiled? Right. Can you be? Packers versus Cowboys. 4.30 Eastern on Sunday. Again, Green Bay goes on the road to Dallas. Seven and a half point favorites the Cowboys are here. Total of 50 and a half. Hayden, which side of the ball do you want to start off here? We got to start with the Dallas Cowboys offense. They're projected for 29 points. That is the most on the week. We have revenge game for the coach. And just in general, I'm just looking for ways the Packers defense stands a chance because... Cowboys on offense, they're second in passing EPA. They're 10th in rushing EPA. Tony Pollard's been a little bit better in short yarded situations, running in late situations uh, in recent spots. And this is from Sumer Sports. Uh, just look at how bad the Packers are defending yeah. over the middle. And Dak Prescott sees the field basically as good as anybody in the league right now. He will target them. We'll see CeeDee Lamb in the slot a couple times. We'll see Ferg Daddy run the seam. And we also can see them just run the ball if they want to. So, Right now, the Packers are 20th or worse in cover one, in cover three, in cover two, in cover four. It doesn't matter what coverage they're running. They're really bad in it. They have no answers on defense, and the Cowboys have all the answers on offense. So the Packers, 
offense better to be ready to go because I just don't see many paths to the Cowboys offense slowing down. This is one of the worst defenses versus the, one of the best offenses, just as you outlined it. And specifically, the point where you outlined it is that the Packers are terrible through the middle of the field. And we have seen that CeeDee Lamb just torches that area. I mean, they can put him on the outside and especially they can put him in the slot, match him up exactly where you want to. And then Dak has eyes for him and their timing is impeccable. And on top of that, to me, we have seen Brandon Cooks, despite being a veteran, look better as the season has gone along. And it's not just CeeDee Lamb that can be a menace over the middle of the field. It's your guy, Jake Ferguson, that Hell can yeah. be a bully over the mm -hmm. middle of the field on top of that. So we know that no one has completed more passes, 20-plus yards on the field than Dak Prescott this season. I mean, turnover-worthy plays are very low to counteract that, which is just an incredible combination. To me, defensively, and Packers fans hate Joe Barry. Like, they're in the playoffs in what should be a rebuilding season, and literally, like, when Wink Martindale gets let go or resigns from the New York Giants or the Atlanta Falcons yeah. defensive coach, they're trying to replace him this week ahead of this matchup. And hopefully <laughs> he can only coach for four days and implement a new system because they hate Joe yeah. Barry that much. I've never seen Jersey swaps for defensive coordinators, <laughs> but I've, I have noticed those uh, on Green Bay Packers Twitter. I will add, and I talked about this at the start of the season. I think it really came into fruition this past week in a win and get in situation. Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, Lucas Van Ness, heck, even a six-rounder in Carl Brooks, they had a massive game. They will have to have another massive game this week against a offensive line when everyone is healthy is one of the best units in the league. Mm -hmm. They are most likely going to be healthy-ish going into this game, but we have seen Tyron Smith exit for series or snaps or games. Tr Tyler Smith, excuse me, do the exact same thing at one of the guard spots, but... Yeah, I mean, if the Cowboys come to play and don't have a Mike McCarthy, Cowboys, Dak Prescott meltdown, which many of you people are waiting for, and I right. certainly am not predicting is going to happen, this, to me, should be at least a lot of points. Yes. At least a lot of points, and if that's the case, then I bet the Cowboys do. Now, the reason why the Packers are in the playoffs is because this passing offense has been lights out. There's six in passing EPA in Green Bay. They are pretty much healthy on offense right now, uh, aside from their offensive line and all the weirdness that went on early in the parts of the season with that. But Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks is balling out. Christian Watson has a chance to play with that hamstring injury. injury. Romeo Dobbs, Bo Melton's coming out of nowhere. We have two different tight ends uh, available to play now with Luke Musgrave back in the lineup. And they've just been owning it down the field. They have the fourth highest average depth of target when they see cover one. And that's what the Cowboys lead the league. And they play 56% of their snaps in cover one, which is an insane amount. Jordan Love throws the ball downfield, 11 yep. point yards downfield. This is a boom bust offense waiting to happen. Can Jordan Love hit these guys in stride? And can these guys win against Steph Gilmore and Deron Bland? Obviously two solid corners on the perimeter, but this is a boom bust offense that has really been booming. And all these underrated day two picks uh, at the skill group, all of them look really good. The Packers offense is the perfect example of just how long the NFL season is. Remember the first four weeks of the season, no one was in the right place. They were running into each other in the same section mm -hmm. of coverage. Matt four was yelling at people. He was benching people. Then week eight hits. You know, they all grow up together, these first and second year pass catchers. Jordan Love closes with 24 touchdowns compared to just seven turnovers. He sacked less than twice per game. 
Um, I Jordan Love totally deserves his his awards because what he is doing right now in terms of like buying that extra moment, not throwing off his back foot per se, but also just the torque and the whip that he gets on these passes and how he can layer it over defenses is fantastic. Not going to surprise you. I also want to give Matt LaFleur his credit too. And I understand in, you know, the last four or five years, he's had a two-time MVP on his roster. But as we've talked about heading into this season, Aaron Rodgers brings and carries the Aaron Rodgers offense with him wherever. And I do think, and you can watch it aesthetically if you want to, that Jordan Love backing up someone like Aaron Rodgers, as Tony Romo outlined in the game broadcast last week, you do pick up some mannerisms that way and just like yes. feel and the flow and the comfort that you can have. Mm-hmm. But this is not an Aaron Rodgers offense. So they scrapped the playbook. They are doing things differently. And for that, to also on the fly coach all of these young players, a first-year quarterback starter, first and second-year pass catchers, none of which were first-round first round picks, Matt LaFour, um, yes. he's not going to win coach of the year, but just an exceptional season from him. Really was exceptional. I think the young guy that they need to step up the most here is Jaden Reed. Against man coverage, he has 2.0 yards per route run. That's ahead of all of the rest of this these uh, skill catchers as well. Jonathan Hankins is back at defensive tackle for the Cowboys uh, to kind of plug up some of the run issues that Dallas has seen. But really, to me, it just comes down to one-on-one opportunities, man coverage, downfield. Can the Packers connect on these when Jordan Love is jumping off of his back foot, if there's throwing off of one foot, all these weirdnesses that you see with Jordan Love. He's been super boom-bust. They're 21st in success rate against cover one. They're 20th in EPA per play against cover one. Could one of these guys make a couple plays down the field? And if I had to pick one, to me, it's Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks right now. Uh, I posted this on Twitter. I Talked about it with Bobby Sloak, so I'll talk about pass protection plans here with Matt LaFleur as well. Really, probably one of the best rushers that they faced this year was Aiden Hutchinson on the Detroit Lions defense. And what Matt LaFleur did to combat that was, I know oftentimes you hear, never allow a tight end to block an edge rusher. Okay, he did it with two. He just put two tight ends on the line of scrimmage and say, hey, work together. Your entire assignment is just to take this one edge guy off it. So that only leaves two-man route concepts. Again, it's prioritizing protection and not just more players down the field. And so you just had a level-of-the-game route and then dagger coming right over the middle of the field. Now, a lot of that was versus zone coverage and that we know with Dan Quinn and the Cowboys, it's going to be a lot of man coverage Mm -hmm. they're going to face. But again, just keep that in mind. I'm going to be very aware of what they're going to try to and how they're going to try to slow down Micah Parsons. And if it is going to be a Luke Musgrave plus Tyler Croft and like basically a two versus one. Uh, But even with that, you know, Micah Parsons can be moved all across the formation as we have seen. How about let's get Luke Musgrave down the field, get a touchdown. <laughs> That's next season. I'm deal. We're, we're, we, we are. Yeah. What if this is his big pop off moment? Um, you'll never stop tweeting about it. That's for sure. Rams versus Lions. Sunday night football. 815 Rams at the Lions. Lions three and a half point favorites in this game. Total of 51 and a half. I mean, this is why we watch. Matthew Stafford returns to Detroit, where he played for, I think, 12 seasons. Massive, and I mean massive, revenge game for Jared Goff, who was upgraded on 
by said Matthew Stafford. And then, yeah, that team went on to win the Super Bowl. First home playoff game for the Detroit Lions, Hayden, since 1994. You weren't born. 1994. Yeah. Nope. You know? Brad Holmes, Ray Agnew, the front office, the GM and the associate GM of the Detroit Lions came over from Les Need and previous to that, Billy Devaney's staff over with the Rams. I mean, which side do you want to start on? This is going to be so much fun to watch. Both defenses are top three in the average depth of target they allow downfield. Mm. And right now, I want to start with the Rams offense because they are absolutely balling. Their last six games, Matthew Stafford, they're averaging 31.3 points per game. 31. <laughs> when Cooper Cup has been on the field with Matthew Stafford, they're averaging over eight yards per pass attempt. It's top five in the NFL. And right now, the Lions defense, they're third worst and allowing deep over the middle throws. Which quarterback has been absolutely dicing up teams True. over the middle part of the field more than Matthew Stafford? Puka Nakua has been absolutely owning there. Cooper Cup obviously has been able to get it done. The Lions just in general have been really bad through the air. The 24th in passing EPA, much better on the ground. The hope that the Lions have right now is... Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Cam Sutton. They're getting some pieces back in the secondary. Aline McNeil, their defensive tackle, he's back off of injured reserve. So they're getting a little bit healthier on defense. But throughout the entire course of the season, what the Lions are bad at on defense is exactly what Matthew Stafford is good at. So this game deserves to be an absolute shootout. Yeah, it's true. I've already taken the Rams at three and a half. I'll lead with that because I think the Rams have all the qualities to make noise, not just in this game, but mm -hmm. like in the entire playoffs. We've talked about it in multiple weeks. They have a quarterback who elevates the talents around him. They have very talented wide receivers. If you want to talk about Puka Nakua first or Cooper Cup, heck, even Demarcus Robinson is like doing his version of what Odell Beckham did in like tight fields, red zone situations closer to the goal line. They have a great play caller. They have a very effective run game, which we probably don't give enough love to. I mean, when Kyron Williams has been on the field this season, I think they have the second highest success rate in the league, right? Damn. And then they have that one player on defense when it gets to a third or fourth down scenario that gets you off the field. Heck, you already did it in the Super Bowl in Aaron Donald. So, man, I love this team. I, I really like how the Rams match up favorably with not just the defensive side of the ball, but um, we'll get to in the opposite side too because um, – this Rams team has gone through a lot this year. You know, it was supposed to be, I'm not going to say a rebuilding year because you, again, brought back Matthew Stafford, but it didn't feel like they were going to get to this moment. And they really are playing their best football of the season right now. And uh, I think on some level, there is momentum from a team aspect in doing that. Big momentum. I think this is the game where people uh, will forget to be scared to draft Puka Nakua in the first round next year. I think this is a game where he shows his alpha status and Matthew Stafford continues to play like top five guy. The good news for the Lions is their offense is also really sick here. Unfortunately, they are going to be without Sam Laporta. That is a huge deal. He's their number three player in yards per route run on the team. And their number two guy, Khalif uh, Raymond, he's also out. That's a special teamer. So that's going to be two guys that are going to be missing on offense. The Rams don't generate much pressure. You can double team Aaron Donald and make him actually earn his pressures, when they bring five or more pass rushers in L.A., they're 31st in pressure rates. So Jared Goff should have some time to kind of navigate the pocket 
and uh, throw the ball downfield if he wants to. But missing Khalif Raymond and most importantly, Sam Laporta, I do think could make this game a little bit tighter than it needed to be. Sam Laporta is a gigantic loss. I mean, catastrophic loss, I think, for the Detroit Lions. I mean, statistically speaking, okay, the Rams lost all three games this season in which they allowed 50-plus yards and a touchdown to tight ends, okay? That was to Philly, Baltimore, and Green Bay. Mm -hmm. And tight ends actually accounted for 16% of the total offense against the Rams this season. That's the fourth highest rate in the NFL. So going from Sam Laporta to, is it Matthew Wright? Behind him, yeah, you, can't, right and- you can't do anything the same because what we have seen from Sam Laporta, Ben Johnson, when you go back and watch the coach's copy of this stuff, he has also fallen in love with speed motion, fly motion, whatever you want to call it. And while, you know, the Miami Dolphins have Tyreek Hill on it, frequently the Lions are utilizing Sam Laporta on it, okay? And you just do not have an athlete who is that mobile that athletic as a backup tight end, no one does across the league. So there are plays that get him open 10 to 12 to 15 yards on the field in these pockets mm-hmm. where if we're talking about Ben Johnson's superpowers it is manipulating coverage and creating these cavities for Jared Goff, either on these deep, you know, dropbacks off of play action or catch it and release it. It's all timing based, right? And again, that's where Ben Johnson is creating these cavities. And so if your offense, and they still have pieces, we still love the Lions. And I'm on Ross St. Brown and Jameer Gibbs and Dave Montgomery. That should be enough. That can be enough. Mm-hmm. But I would be more confident if Sam Lepore didn't have this hyperextended knee plus a bone bruise. He had 40 EPA this year on his targets, which is he's absurd. unbelievable. Yeah. Fifth in yards per route run, 21% target share on top of it. So they need somebody else to step up. Obviously, we've talked about this entire show. Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. Sure, you're going to be able to run the ball in situations. I do think if I'm looking in the pick and lobby for this one, the guy that I kind of stand out, I'm going right back to the well. Remember early parts of the season? Josh Reynolds, he played a lot more snaps this last game. Jameson Williams, he's coming off of injury. No Sam Laporta. They need somebody to win downfield because the Rams have the highest average depth of target allowed. I do think that Josh Reynolds is somebody that is going to have to take down a couple of these deep passes just because, like you said, like that easy option with Sam Laporta, they're going to have to fill that in unconventional ways. And I do think that Jameson Williams and Josh Reynolds winning down the field is one of these answers. And to be honest with you, many people expected Jameer Gibbs to be used as like a hybrid player. His pass catching work has not been at this year. He drops the ball. It's weird. And, you know, he is not being utilized. Like they will put him out there and motion him in and use that as a speed player too. But it's not like he is going out there and running quote unquote wide receiver routes or anything like that and being exotic with it. That is not his game at this stage. And I think some people anticipated that being his game at the NFL level. The good news is he has been absolutely electric. Oh, totally. On yeah, on, on the ground, like he's been sensational. So they can they can get it done with with Gibbs or with David Montgomery there for sure. Before we move on from this game, I want to add that tomorrow, Wednesday, there's an entire scheme episode devoted to this game. Okay. Oh wow. Group project with me and Colt McCoy. We split it in half. His first one in 20 plus years, I'm sure. Um, I brought six plays to the table that to me. Ben Johnson runs exquisitely that the Rams are going to have to shut down. And he he did the exact same thing with Sean McVay that the Lions are going to shut down. So it was 
great stuff, how both manipulate coverages in very different ways. So definitely go and check that out on the channel once you see it. That'd be sick. Very sick. Eagles versus Buccaneers. This is Monday night because we can't stop. Uh, 8.15 Eastern. Eagles. Bucks. Eagles favored by two and a half on the road. Total of 44 points. Um, the best for last, Hayden? <laughs> it should be a close game. This is going to be the bat fight of the week. Uh, aside from, uh, I think, the the Chiefs-Dolphins game will be a somewhat of a bat fight here. It's too early in the week for us to really know on the Eagles who's exactly playing and how healthy they are. Obviously, Jalen Hurts left with that finger issue. It seems like he's day-to-day. A.J. Brown, knee injury, Devontae Smith. That is an ankle injury. That's a lot of pieces. I mean, that's those are their best players because their defense has not shown up here. So this one certainly does have a lot of upside appeal. We'll get into like the specific matchups here, but the Eagles offense is not as good this year because Jalen Hurts isn't scrambling as much. He The yards after the catch ability has not been there as much this year, but really it's been the pressure rates. Yeah. Last year, EPA versus the Blitz, uh, Jalen Hurts was plus 31 this year, negative 36 per play. The Buccaneers, by the way, blitz at the third highest rate. So the matchup and the injuries, and also, by the way, the Bucs did finish the season with a higher point differential than the Eagles. They're also at home here. So, yeah, this has got a lot of upset appeal. Yeah, I mean, second worst point differential of any playoff team the Philadelphia Eagles had, plus five. That's only better than the Pittsburgh Steelers at minus 20 this season. Um, I know they only played like a quarter, a quarter and a half against the Giants in week 18. Jalen Hurts looked freaking horrible. I mean, he has sucked all season long against these pressure looks. Our buddy Ben Fennell, who's a friend of the show, um, points out that when they played Tampa Bay all the way back in week three, they brought five or more rushers. Um, the Bucks 25 times. <laughs> 25 times. Wow. Okay. And Jalen Hurts was 13 of 23 for 146 yards and two interceptions. How often have you watched the Philadelphia Eagles this season and see everything spread out, right? They do not motion. They run 11 personnel. They run these deep routes with very little over the middle of the field this season in a Brian Johnson-led offense and not Shane Sykin. The Giants occupy the blockers up front. One guy gets through. Jalen Hurts sprints right. And then just dumps the ball out of bounds with no hot route. It happened over and over and over again. We're we're in week 19 now. Mm -hmm. And Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson have not fixed this. And it feels like that is a seismic change versus what we saw with Shane Steichen in this offense last season. Yeah, that's been the difference against the blitz, against pressure. They haven't been as good. And then Jalen Hurts playing through his injury. His yards per scramble is down a full yard. The yard after the catch is down a full yard than where it was last year. And at the margins, it's just not been nearly as good. And that's that's on offense. I mean, the defense yeah. went from number one, number two in every single category to bottom one or bottom number two in every category. And just to finish out this point in the Eagles offense, they still have these unreal talents. Like how they are utilizing them in terms of lining them up with no motion is no different than it was last year, you know? You typically, though, have Devontae Smith who can win his one-on-ones, Dallas Goddard who can win his one-on-ones, A.J. Brown who can win his one-on-ones, and then a great offensive line. We just kind of outlined why it's not connecting as much this year. And I want to add on top of that, Todd Bowles is, I would say, Steve Spagnuolo-esque. And, hey, it's playoff time. 
let's cook up these new and funky looks and pressure looks that, mm-hmm. I mean, even last week against the Carolina Panthers, if you go back and watch, he was putting Vita Vea at, you know, left defensive end was really configuring his gaps and who was standing in front of them and on the line of scrimmage very awkwardly. And so that was causing, you know, defense or offensive lines to communicate. And then what he was doing was Vita Vea crashing down and then just having the looping guys around it to create these looks. And I guarantee you they know that, hey, Jalen Hurts loves to roll out to his right. We were going to send some of these loops and stunts and all that type of stuff. Yep. Uh, Offensively for the Buccaneers, I also like this matchup. They're eighth in passing EPA. They're 28th in rushing EPA. What do teams do when they face the Eagles? They just pass the ball specifically at the fifth highest rate. So I think the Buccaneers are going to put the ball into the hands of Baker Mayfield. Hopefully he's actually healthy for this one. He should be fired up because the Eagles are 28th against the pass. They're 29th against the run. They're this like defensive line is not creating that much pressure. The secondary, while they've tried to add some pieces has not gotten into a groove. And I think this is a perfect opportunity specifically for Mike Evans to win on some of these one-on-one downfield shots and I think you have to like the Bucks' chances here. I know they just barely snuck into the playoffs, but this team just has the ingredients to kind of go uh, on a two, three-quarter streak where yeah. Mike Evans is mossing people or winning with speed down the field. And Baker Mayfield, for, for his faults, he does love to throw the ball downfield, and that's where the Eagles have been constantly burnt. Baker was bad in Week 18. He was hobbled. He was injured. He was clearly not 100%. With that said, he has been running hot all season long. I mean, to open the season, remember how great he was against pressure, top of the league on third downs, top of the league. Um, I think he also, in terms of clean pocket dropbacks this season, when you exclude screens, um, he had the highest turnover-worthy play rate, second highest turnover-worthy play rate uh, behind Desmond Ritter. Now, his was like 5.4%, and I think Desmond Ritter was all the way up at 9 sure. So there's like a huge <laughs> cavity between those two. But I think it does speak to, again, people hate the word momentum. Maybe confidence is a better one. But like when you run hot, you can run hot for a very long time, and it helps to have someone like Mike Evans out there. Yeah. Because Mike Evans has played unbelievable football. And at the same time, as we talked about how, despite being having great pieces on paper on the Eagles offense, the defense can say the exact same thing. They've invested so much in this defensive line. They're getting moved around. They're not creating enough pressure. You know, Howie for a decade now has not invested in the spine of a defense. They've tried to throughout the season. Shaq Leonard, Kevin Byard pulled those levers, not working out. And these corners that it felt like they were going to move off from last offseason and James Bradbury and Slay have not played well no. this season. So, like, again, among all these young play callers that are getting these head coaching jobs interviews this offseason, I actually would rank Dave Canales in like the lower end of that because I think his offense is like quite vanilla. But he's turned around, you know, two quarterbacks over the last few years that everyone left for dead. And um, to me, he has paired the running game with the passing game quite well. And if we get a bad Eagles performance, I think we can get a good enough performance from this Bucs team, especially at home, to win this game. I think they should be projected for more than 20 points, and that's what the betting markets have it at. I think that this Eagles defense 
is a joke. And Mike Evans has played like an all pro wide receiver and he deserves all the credit. So I think like define running hot for Baker Mayfield. Sure. On his end, he's been running hot, but Mike Evans has just been Mike Evans. Totally. And we can expect that to continue here. My final note. And the one thing I want you all to watch in this game, they've been scoring a ton of touchdowns outside of the 20 yard line, the Tampa Buccaneers, thanks to Mike Evans and Baker Mayfield. But once they get into it, Hayden, they finished 30th in the mm-hmm. NFL and red zone touchdown rate this season at 45.83%. So, so many of these other contenders are up there at one, two, three, at like mm-hmm. 70-ish percent, 65%. So that is something to watch when this team does get down uh, inside the 20-yard line. Rashad White, 30% rushing success rate this year. Luckily, he is the number one in passing EPA, but 30% rushing success rate is not going to cut it. Okay, that's going to cut it for us. We are done. That is six games. Hopefully, we gave you some things to think about, some things to watch for in each one. Uh, We did this preview early because we wanted to delay, thanks to all the changes in head coaches, firings, interviews, names linked, because on Thursday of this week, we are going team by team for all the non-playoff clubs and saying one move that they must make this offseason in order to fix everything that happened in the previous 18 weeks of this season. So be on the lookout for that show on Thursday. It's one of my favorites of the entire season. It'll be a mega one. It'll be a mega one. Uh, And go watch Scheme tomorrow. Again, focusing on the Rams and the Lions. Colt McCoy is uh, just fantastic at what he does. Okay. Thanks to producer Weeze, who is also tremendous. Thanks to Hayden. I'm Josh up the bell. We will talk to y'all soon. See ya.